0: Today's scripture passage is from 2 Corinthians five sixteen to 21. In our Red Pew Bibles, this is page 966. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Today we have Doug Hewitt filling in for Pastor Albert. Please give him a warm welcome.
1: Good morning. All right, I'm going to pray before we get started. Um, God, I thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here today. God, I just uh, I pray, Lord, that you will uh, help me to be able to speak clearly, um, and also for for your word to come through, um, the impact that you have had on on my life, um, and to be able to share it with uh, the people who are here today. Since you just said our prayer, Amen. All right, let me get my clock out here so I can make sure and stay on time this time. All right, (laughs) cool. Um, well, first of all, my name is, is Doug. Um, I feel obligated to let everyone know. Um, David Barda brought something to my attention uh, a while back when he found out that my first name is actually John. Um, he actually informed me he was felt quite offended by not knowing my first name after having known me for five years. Um, so I just wanna make sure everyone knows my first name is actually John, but I go by Doug. Um, so hopefully you guys feel like you know me now and won't be offended later if you find that out. So, um, But my name is Doug. Uh, also probably fairly obvious I am a Caucasian male uh, I grew up in very I would say affluent fluent community um, or affluent lifestyle uh, I uh, grew up in a small town uh, in Tennessee but my dad was a veterinarian um, as a veterinarian in a small town we kind of grew up in the upper kind of middle class of, of that community um, but the community itself was a little bit different. And when we, when we first moved to the community, when I was two years old, um, you know, we, we were very much starting things out. Um, we, we were not in that, that kind of upper middle class uh, lifestyle. And it really reflected a lot of the, the community around us too. Uh, it was a small town, about 13,000 people, uh, just west of the Smoky Mountain National Park. In East Tennessee. Uh, the area in the mid to early 80s was largely tobacco farms. Uh, and that, that's kind of what people had for their livelihood. There was a little bit of co- commerce that passed through the area, but still largely um, agricultural farming. Um, and society was kind of really reflective of that. Uh, in the n- late 80s and 90s, when kind of the big tobacco. Kind of bust happened when a lot of the lawsuits began to take place a lot of farmers began to stop growing tobacco um, there were a lot of pushes to to reduce the amount of pe- pe- uh, tobacco production so much so that the u.s government stepped in and started providing subsidies for farmers to grow anything other than tobacco um, but still if you go back to my hometown in tennessee and you drive through that area you'll see all of these barns some are kind of starting to fall down and fall apart because they were all tobacco hanging barns where they would put the tobacco inside and and hang tobacco in that area. Um, Another kind of feature of that community, uh, as I began in my adult Life began to move and and visit other countries, and I began to hear people talk about how you know, oh, America is a very individualistic society, and other places in the world are very communal. Um, And I began to think about my my growth and life uh, in Tennessee, and I began to think that you know, well, Tennessee is is at least the community that I grew up in was was quite different, Um, very much based on community and cohesion and protecting the community and protecting the the group that you're a part of. Family was very, very important um, for for our daily lives. Um, Another major component of of that community um, was the church. Uh, The church was, it was a place where you went to um, on Sundays, but it was also very often the community center for for the community. Our church had a gym, um, you know, and people from the community would all come. They had basketball leagues and soccer leagues and all these different things, trying to get people... To, to come into the church as a part, of, a part of the community. It was considered something that, in order to be a good person, you, you needed to attend church, at least on Christmas and Easter. Um, and throughout the rest of the year, you at least need, if someone came up and asked you, like, hey, do you believe in God? And you'd be like, yeah, I believe in God. I'd be like, could, we're cool, now we can kind of like move forward. Like, that was kind of the consensus within within that community. I also remember, uh, every summer going to vacation Bible school and we would come into the church They would always have they would drop us off. You know parents would drop us off every day um, For the whole week um, And that was probably a great time for them to be rid of us for during the during the summer um, But they would always bring all the kids into the sanctuary And I remember the very first thing that we would do is everyone would look to the front And on the left side would be the American flag on the right side would be the Christian flag Okay, if you've never seen it, there is a Christian flag. Um, And then there's also we would. um, So what we would do is they would have a stand up and we'd say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And then we would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the Christian flag. OK, and then we'd also say Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible. Um, And I never really understood exactly why we did to the Bible and to the Christian flag, is that it were, like, somehow different concepts or something. I'm not really sure, but we we did that anyway. And I think that kind of like set the tone for the idea that my growing up life was in a community where the ideas of of Christianity and the United States were very much intertwined. Um, That to be patriotic was to be Christian, to be Christian was to be patriotic. Um, And there was always this intermingling of those things together. Now, that community, uh, I would say when I was growing up, being generous, I would say it was probably 98% Caucasian. Um, You know, I can remember in high school, just the select few people that were not Caucasian. Um, And I went to a high school of around 2,000 people. Um, And so, it was a community where you kind of just, you didn't really see a lot of things. You heard about things on the news, things going on in the world. Um, but I remember when I was about 10 years old, we went to the, we went to Florida and we took some, some of my dad's coworkers with us and they were in their mid twenties. And that was the first time they had ever left East Tennessee in their mid twenties. Um, today I think it would probably be quite different. Um, but growing up in the eighties and nineties, you know, you were kind of insulated in this world of people just like you. Um, <laughs> to my, to my own kind of like, I guess, confessing on my own, like, I grew up in that community and didn't really represent anything different. Um, I remember the first time in early, early in high school, probably my freshman or sophomore year, um, some friends wanted to go to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a town of about 350,000 people, city of 350,000 people, about 40 minutes from where we lived. They wanted to go to an Indian restaurant, okay? And I thought in my head the entire way to the restaurant, and sadly the entire way through the meal, that we had gone to a Native American restaurant that's how insulated I was and how little I knew about a lot of the world around me. Um, It wasn't until embarrassing on the drive back that we were talking about things. My friends were like, what? No, that was like India, the country. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Okay, cool. Um, I also remember, though, on kind of the darker side of, of things as well, that... There was a county next to mine um, that there was a, a large, when I, again, when I was in high school, there was a large KKK rally uh, in that area. I remember most of my friends and us kind of thinking, like, okay, that's, 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 that's bad, that's not good. Of course, racism is bad in this larger concept. Um, but did we do anything to, to stand in opposition to it? Did we verbally say anything about it? Not, not really. It just kind of happened and passed, and we kind of moved on. Um, But I do remember people sometimes in church, sometimes in the community around us, when there would be issues of maybe people of two different races that were in a relationship with each other. They would use scripture to say how that was not okay. Um, And they would say, you know, you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. And at that time, I didn't have anything in my mind that, that challenged otherwise. I think one thing that I did learn at some point along the way in church is that, and this was something that actually was very valuable in my life moving forward, is that somewhere along the way, someone had told me that if you see someone teaching you something, and they tell you it's, this is the way it's supposed to be, but then you read in the Bible and you find out it's not supposed to be that way, then you need to change it. And... Thankfully, that was something that had been, had been spoken into my life. But at that time, I didn't have really anything that, that challenged any of those thoughts. And so I, I didn't challenge it as well. Um, raising questions in church was not something that was encouraged. Um, you know, it was just like, that's just that's the way it is. That's what the Bible says. Don't, don't ask too many questions. Ask too many questions and you'll start to, like, you know, lose your faith. So, so don't ask too many questions. Um, So, I kind of settled into that and kind of was moving along. I think the first time that there was an unease that kind of rose up in me about my community uh, was in the latter part of high school, my junior and senior year. Um, There was a growing number of Hispanic people moving into our community. Again at that time there was not large discussions about undocumented people coming across the border or anything like that. but we started noticing that, you know, that our community was somehow changing slightly. I remember seeing people kind of like talking about, you know, oh, like we'll see people at the mall and they're like speaking Spanish all of a sudden, like we don't know what they're saying. You know, and so you hear parents talking about, oh, is it safe to let our kids go to the mall anymore? And all of these things. And I remember I, I played soccer growing up and I'll talk about that in a minute, how it was kind of weird in the community that I, that I lived in. Um, but one of my soccer teams was supposed to have a scrimmage Uh, against one of the teams largely made of Hispanic uh, players. And right before the game was supposed to happen, like the day before, our coach called us and said, hey, um, we have to cancel our game. And we were like, okay, well, why do we have to cancel? It's like, well, there are ICE agents in town, and I didn't know what ICE was at that time. There are ICE agents in town, and they've actually been going to soccer fields to try to find people and arrest people. Um, And so I was just like, Okay, I mean, I, I was kind of upset about it i wasn 't upset about it necessarily at like this moral level yet. Um, I was upset about it because, dang it, my soccer game was canceled. That sucks. And so I kind of began to like that was kind of one of those first moments where I, I began to think like something 's not right in this picture, something, something happening here that maybe is something I need to understand um, a little bit more. but my focus and my dreams were on, I actually did plan on, on leaving East Tennessee, um, but my dreams all the way through high school were to move to Colorado, live in the mountains and be a ski bum. I had not figured out the work par- portion of, of that, um, but I, I just knew that that's, that's what I wanted to do. But kind of behind the scenes of all of my upbringing, um, it wasn't until later that I was able to see the thread that God was kind of weaving through, through my life. Um, when I was five years old, I was, I was baptized uh, and you know, was in church all the time. My family went to church regularly, but it wasn't something that I deeply engaged with inside of myself. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up playing soccer from four years old. Uh, My parents told me, like, hey, you have to choose a sport. You can't play all of the sports. We have to have time for your sisters to do things, too. Um, And so I chose to play soccer. Basketball, oh, sorry, football and baseball were king in East Tennessee. Um, The University of Tennessee's football stadium holds over 100,000 people. It's a huge stadium, right? But for some reason, I was the oddball out, and I chose to play soccer. Um, Didn't really understand why I liked a sport that was so seldom played. Uh, in the United States, but I did. Uh, When I got into high school, um, just like most people, you have to take certain classes. We had to have language classes in our high school, Um, even though we had very few people in our community that spoke languages different than than English. Um, And so I took French class. And when I first went into class, I remember someone the first day talking about how they spoke American, not English. And I was like, this is kind of weird, okay? Like, I'm not sure what this is all about, but it was one of the students, not the teacher, (laughs) thankfully. Um, But I I remember that in that class, um, I just, I really enjoyed learning another language and learning about uh, another culture. So much so that I was the only person that signed up for French 3 in high school. Um, And since they can't have a class with one student, they canceled the class and I was upset, so I decided I would study Spanish instead. Um, So I went ahead and used my elective classes to take two Spanish classes as well. Again, not for any practical reason other than I just really enjoyed it. Around the same time, my parents Um, had heard about some exchange students that were going to be coming to visit East Tennessee. Um, and so they decided to host, um, the exchange students. And so those were my first opportunities to interact with people, um, from other cultures. And when I got in, I finished high school, still had the same dreams, ideas, wasn't connecting these dots of things that God was doing in my life and went to college. In my hometown, 13,000 people, the college had about 1,000 people, Um, small Baptist college. Um, Mainly was going there because my girlfriend was going there, and so I went there. Um, And I remember the first day of orientation, there was this wise lady who got up, and she was talking to us about what life will be like as we start college, that things will begin to change for us, we'll be introduced to new things. And I remember she said that... You know, even if you're dating someone right now, probably by the end of your freshman year, you're not going to be dating that person anymore. And I was like, what? I'm so offended. Like, how, that we have, like, this thing. It's real. It's deep. Like, we're going to be together. Because, like, you know, I had chosen to go to the school because she was there. And so, like, this thing better work out. Um, <laughs> but by, by, by winter break, we, we had broken up. Um, and... I, I you know, I kind of went through this stage of just really, at that point, not knowing. I thought I had stuff figured out. Okay, I have, I have the girlfriend, we'll just get married at some point, we'll move to Colorado, and we'll ski and do whatever. I mean, very just limited vision of the world of what my dreams would be. Um, but I also found, like, when you have to declare a major, um, I started as a pre-med major, my, my first day of, of school. Um, went to biology class and immediately change my major to French. I was like, oh, that will be great. Go from pre-med to French. Um, but, you know, honestly, it wasn't like, oh, I just, I really want to do this. It was more of, like, I just need something to be on the piece of paper that tells what my major is. And so I, I did that. Um, but it didn't really sit well with me. Um, I, when I was really young, I think at some point, my mom probably remembers when, that I had told my, her, my mom that I was going to be a pastor when I grow up. And I always just thought, like, you stand up here, you tell some jokes, talk about the Bible, and then everybody goes home, and that's what you do all week, right? Um, so, like, that'd be cool to do that. Um, and for some reason, during this period, my mom kept bringing that up to me, right? And it was really annoying for my mom to do that. I was like, Mom, that's the last thing on earth that I want to do. Um, But there was also simultaneously something that God was doing uh, in my heart and in my life. And at that stage, I I didn't really have any interest in closely following and and listening to what God had for my life. But I kept having to raise this question in my mind of like, what am I going to major in? I have to get a job after this whole college thing is done. Like, what am I going to do? And every time I would, kind of that nagging voice in the back of my head was like, Doug, I I want you to follow me. I want you to to go after me. And so I was like, all right, I know the best thing to do. I'm going to go declare my major as religion. Like, that'll silence this whole thing. Like, I'll just do it. It'll be done. I don't have to change inside. I don't have to do anything. I just go declare my major as religion and like move on. Um, so I did. I went to the office, declared my major as religion. I'm like, OK, now I can, now I can set, it, set it rest. But this thing still, still, still didn't stop. God was still wanting me to follow him in a more deep, deeper way. Um, and so I, I began to think, okay, I, need, I just need to get out of this environment. My relationship with my girlfriend was what kind of kept me here, but I need to get out of this environment. So I thought about, like, what's the furthest I can go? Um, my sister at that time had applied through a missions organization to go to Taiwan for the summer. And I was like, that sounds great. That's really far away from here. Let's, let's try to do that. So I had an application, I filled it out, um, and they get, you had to get three choices, and I think I picked China, Nepal, and Wells in the, in the United Kingdom. Um, and I got selected to go to, to Wells in the United Kingdom. And I got the acceptance letter four months before I was supposed to, supposed to go. Um, and so, like, I kind of sat there and I was like, well, I've never really talked to anyone about what I say I believe. Like, I'm not really sure I even know how to do that. Um, and so I picked up my Bible. Um, and this is a great thing, but also a dangerous thing to do, asking God to help you to understand the Bible. And I began to read my Bible at that point in my life and began to see things that were very different than the Christianity I had seen reflected around me my whole life. I began to see certain ideas and things challenged and really deeply within my own self, realizing that you know there's a lot of stuff that I did not know about God's word. And I stepped out that summer went to the UK. We did a lot of stuff, uh, working mostly with churches all across Wells, across um, and they have religious education classes in school, in high schools, um, and so we would go into the high schools and we would talk about, about God, talk about Christianity, um, and we would always open it up for questions. We would open it up for people to just ask any questions they wanted, which is really dangerous among high school students, um, to allow them to ask questions about anything that they want. Um, but that actually proved to be one of the most amazing things in my life because I began to hear the questions that these high school students were asking without any reservation. And I remember thinking like, man, I wish I had had that opportunity to ask those kind of questions when I was growing up because they would ask questions and I'd be like, I have no idea what God thinks about that. I remember one student asked me, what does God think about Marilyn Manson? And I was like, God thinks a, he probably, yeah, he does what does God think about Marilyn Manson? And my initial reaction inside of it would be like, God doesn't like that. But then I had to step back and I had to think about it. And I was like, wait a minute. God loves Marilyn Manson just as much as he loves me. And then suddenly I began to see all of these things kind of like happening in my life where these little threads of the Christianity that I had knit together for myself were being pulled as I understood God more. At that point... I began, every summer, I would go, to the, go back to the UK when I was in college. Um, eventually I transferred to another school in, in Dallas because there was nothing keeping me in Tennessee, so I was going to school in Dallas at this time. Um, had taken a semester off of school and went to West Africa. Um, and then eventually finished school, uh, and uh, when I graduated, I spent two years living in China. And all through that time, Uh, I had come across a a passage, and it's the passage that we're talking about today. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, I'm just going to read it again real quick. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I remember reading this this passage, and that, that word ambassador really stuck out to me. It was a word that I saw, and I was like, I could relate to that word, moving outside of my country, moving outside of of where I was comfortable and representing something. And so I kind of latched onto that as as, as a part of of who I was. Um, I had looked at my own identity here in the United States and had seen how so much of it was intertwined with things other than Christianity. And as I began to move in the world, I began to see how people challenged that. I remember in China, um, a person who had been there longer than me, um, who was also involved in doing ministry there, asked me, like, how would you feel if a congregation of Christian Chinese people started singing God bless China instead of God bless America? And I remember inside of me, there was like this like initial turmoil of like, well, no, they can't do that. <laughs> like, like that's, that's not okay. But then I began to think about it, and I'm like, well, why not? Like, why can't God bless the people in China? Like, why can't he? Like, there's something inside of me that's saying it's, it's wrong, but it's not necessarily wrong. And I began to see instances like that arise in my life over and over again, where I began to realize that I was attempting to be an ambassador for, for Christ, but very often I was an ambassador of many, many other things. And I hadn't had this ability inside of me to really separate those things out we have all of these things that feed into to who we are all these groups that vie for our attention and our loyalty and at the same time you know we are Christians and we're in a country today where that concept and that word is being challenged quite regularly sometimes I would say there's people here who are hesitant to tell people you're a Christian not because of what you believe but because of what Christianity kind of represents in our society right now. And you're like, I don't want to be associated with with that group. And I completely get it. I grew up as a Southern Baptist. And I don't know if many of you know about how the Southern Baptist denomination started, but they split from other Baptists because they held the belief that missionaries should be able to have slaves. That's how it was started. And it took all the way until the mid-90s, before they publicly apologize for having held that stance. That's the tradition that I, that I grew up in. And that was hard. But it was hard to sit and look and see something that I held so valuable in my life now, my relationship with God. But then to see as I moved around and see how distorted it had become, that people, first of all, you had to break down the idea of what they thought a Christian was to then be able to again to build something up again the next challenge that i faced was that i had really embraced being an ambassador out there i i read the great commission when it said go and make disciples that means you leave where you are and you go and you make disciples um, but it wasn't until i took a greek class later on that i found out that it just says while going make disciples and I always struggled when I came back to the United States. I, I struggled to, I was angry at the American church. Even now there are times when I'm, I'm angry at the church here for not separating itself into a more pure form so that people don't have all these questions about what it is. And so I would always come back home to the U.S. and I'd be like, God, why do I have to be here like, I want to be out there. It's so much easier out there. Like, why, why, why do I have to come back here? Um, and I remember one time on a, a flight coming back, um, just this thought coming into my head where it's like, why do you always change your attitude when you go home? Like, when you go somewhere... Like, you, you, you do all the study, you figure out who, who, who the people are there, you see the different things about them culturally, the different religions and things that they have in their lives, and you prepare yourself to, to love them no matter who they are, no matter what's going on, and to share God's love into their lives. It's like, why don't you do that when you come home? Why do you sit on the plane the whole time being like, ah, I want to go back, I don't want to be going this way? Why don't you shift your mode when you're coming home as well? And that's when I began to really understand that this role as an ambassador is not simply a role for me to have as I'm moving out in the world, but it's also something that needs to happen here in the United States. That it's not only something that needs to happen among a community of non-Christians, but also even among a community of Christians, that it's immensely important for us to be an ambassador for Christ amongst each other, to keep each other in check, to hold each other to God's word. I mentioned earlier that something very early on to me that that proved to be vitally important was that someone along the way had told me if you ever see actions even from people in the church that don't align with the Bible, it has to change. It has to come back in alignment with the Bible. And that was something that inside of me, I began to see that there needs to be a change. I need to be a part of this. I need a change inside of myself to continue to align myself and my actions and the way I view the world with the Bible. And that's where I think it's really important to notice what Paul says here about being an ambassador for Christ. That God is making his appeal through us and we are ministers of reconciliation. And reconciliation, the word implies that there was a relationship before, something happened to break that relationship, and you're drawing it back together again. The idea of reconciliation means that you have to deal with messy situations. You have to deal with situations where a tension has been built up for some reason and a break has happened. And you're working toward bringing healing and restoration to a situation. Reconciliation um, is not an easy thing, especially when we think about it in the context of God reconciling us to himself. In Isaiah, it says that our sins have created a separation from us. It's not that God, his arm is too short to save us or his ear too deaf that he cannot hear us, but it's our sin has created a barrier between us and between God. And so there was nothing that we could do, nothing we could do to get back to him. So Jesus did the work for us to be able to get back to him. He came here. He emptied himself of his massively privileged position. There is no one in existence more privileged than Jesus. And yet, it says in Philippians 2, that he emptied himself, came to the earth as a human. But then, that he became a servant on top of that. As he became that servant, he showed us that as he lived his life, And as he died, he was on a cross, praying for God to forgive the very people that were nailing him to the cross. Was it emotional? Was it painful? Absolutely. But he was setting us an example. One, to invite us to reconcile to God, to make a way for us to reconcile to God. But secondly, setting us an example of how we are to engage in that ministry of reconciliation. It's one that we will have our lives challenged in many, many ways. We will have our identities challenged, no matter who we are. And we'll be asked, are we going to have our Christian identity, our faith in Christ as the primary means by which we choose how we will live and how we will move? Paul often, as he moved, and went around to different places, from Jews, from Greeks, from all different groups, was accused of many different things. Early Christians were accused of being atheists. They were accused of being cannibals. They were accused of being atheists because they didn't believe in a god that was a statue. They were accused of being cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. Christians being misunderstood is nothing new. But it's important to understand that we don't have to be a barrier for further misunderstanding in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians Paul says in verse 1 through 11 sorry 2 Corinthians 6, one through 11 Paul begins to talk about how did they go about dispensing this ministry of reconciliation working together with him God then We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry." But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken to you freely. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. God is asking us to join him in his ministry of reconciling the world to himself. He could have said, hey, I'm going to reconcile you to myself, and then I'm just going to leave, leave the rest of it to me. I could just take you home. But part of restoration of relationship is involvement in what people are doing. If you and I had a problem, and we were really good friends before, and we have a problem And then we fix the problem, but we never talk to each other again after that. Reconciliation hasn't really happened. God is inviting us to reconcile to him, but then to take that, take that love that he has shown us and be a part of him spreading that to other people. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. For the opportunity to be here, to be amongst fellow believers, to be able to talk about where we are today as people who you have left here to represent you in our communities. And God, I know that we face a lot of distortion. Of, of your truth, and a lot of distortion of, of who you are. But God, I pray that you will help us to, to follow you wholly with our hearts, to, to see the kindness and love that you have, have given to us, the forgiveness that you have given to us. And God, that we will become servants of dispensing that same kind of love and kindness and forgiveness in our own lives, so that that can be reflective of of who you are, so that as people around us maybe think they know and understand what Christianity is about because they see it on TV all the day, all the time, and they hear about it in the news. Um, But when they interact with us, that questions will be raised, that they will think, maybe I don't understand this the, the way that it is. Maybe there's something different to this, because this person in front of me is, is way more loving and kind and generous and forgiving than, than what I've heard. Um, God, I pray that you'll help us to embrace that. Help us to embrace that role as, an, as a part of our identity, Lord, that we cannot separate. Um, that we will hold to it firmly and strongly, Lord. It's in Jesus' name, I pray.